Xtalks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This life science-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to keep you up to date. This week on the show, we are discussing FDA approval of a treatment for pediatric chronic GVHD and smartwatches with AFib detection. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the X Talks Life Science Podcast. I'm Aisha Rashid, Senior Life Science Journalist at xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by Sydney Perlmutter and Vera Kovacevich. Thanks for coming today. Let's start off with a story about Fitbit and how it's introducing a lineup of three different watches this fall, smart watches this fall, that is. So wearable technology giant Fitbit has revealed three new smartwatch models that it will be adding to its collection this fall, including one that can detect signs of atrial fibrillation. So Fitbit made the reveal in a blog post, and in that post, it outlined the three new models, which are called Inspire 3, Versa 4, and Sense 2. So while Inspire 3 and Versa 4 are fitness-focused, the Sense 2 smartwatch is the company's most advanced, health-focused smartwatch yet, according to Fitbit. So the new Fitbit Sense 2 contains sensors which can detect signs of atrial fibrillation through the company's ECG app and PPG or photoplethysmography algorithm, which both have FDA clearance and CE marking. Fitbit said that all three new next-generation devices are even thinner and more comfortable, so you can wear them all day and all night. You don't have to charge them every day. Now, the Fitbit Sense 2 smartwatch is priced beginning at $300 and will begin to be shipped out towards the end of this month, so the end of September. So Fitbit's new Sense 2 smartwatch allows users access to important health features, including the irregular heart rhythm notifications, which uses the PPG optical heart rate sensor to assess heart rhythm for signs of atrial fibrillation. Now, the heart rate data is then analyzed by the PPG algorithm to detect any abnormalities, and if any are found, the user is notified. The user can then share the readings with a healthcare provider. Fitbit said that the PPG feature is compatible with the range of the company's other heart rate-enabled devices. And this PPG algorithm is cleared to use in individuals 22 years of age or older who have no known history of irregular heart rhythm. Now, taking a look at the smartwatch's battery life. So it has a battery life of more than six days on a single charge, which is pretty impressive. And Fitbit says that this is particularly useful for the heart uh, monitoring technology since atrial fibrillation is often best spotted when the body is at rest. So Fitbit had first validated the PPG algorithm in a a large-scale clinical study involving more than 455,000 Fitbit users, and results of the trial were shared at the American Heart Association's annual scientific sessions um, 
late last year. And that data showed that about one third of individuals who received irregular heart rhythm notifications went on to be diagnosed with atrial fibrillation. In addition to that, when paired with a wearable ECG patch monitor, the algorithm was 98% accurate in detecting atrial fibrillation cases. So the Sense2 smartwatch also includes another new sensor called the Body Response Sensor, which measures continuous electrodermal activity, or CEDA. Now, by combining these CEDA readings with heart rate, as well as other metrics like skin temperature measurements, um, the app or the algorithm can also detect stress levels and assess um, them for all-day stress management. And to help relieve stress, the device suggests stress relief activities such as deep breathing and mindfulness exercises. So the Sense2 also includes other health tracking features, including measurements of heart rate and its variability, breathing rate, skin temperature, and oxygen saturation. These elements were integrated into past models of Fitbit's smartwatches. Fitbit said that their wearables continue to combine Fitbit's health and wellness tools with the smarts of Google. So Google actually acquired Fitbit in a deal estimated to be worth $2.1 billion last year. And actually, the acquisition occurred sometime around 29, late 2019, early 2020, but Google confirmed um, the acquisition in early 2021. Um, now, talks of this acquisition um, were met with uh, some scrutiny, particularly by the European Data Protection Board um, over concerns of data privacy. And of course, we know that in Europe, they have quite strict data privacy laws. And uh, so this um, this deal where or this buyout of Fitbit by Google um, was, you know, heavily scrutinized um, in Europe over there. So... Yeah, I just wanted to get your thoughts on uh, this new smartwatch and whether um, you both uh, engage in wearing any kinds of, you know, wearables for um, tracking your health metrics and um, what you think about this new uh, lineup that they have, particularly the one with uh, the heart monitoring algorithm. Yeah, well, when I saw how many people were enrolled in that clinical trial, it was almost like half a million people yeah. for atrial fibration, right? Yep. So I guess that kind of makes sense because I, I read a fact that two years ago, um, Fitbit sold like over 11 million of their watches. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, so it makes sense that they would have so many people enrolled in a clinical trial. And... Um, in that clinical trial, like they they did have, like thirteen percent of the people were over sixty five. So mm. um, those tend to be uh, higher risk at um, you know having irregular heartbeats. Um, but yeah, to answer your other questions, like I I actually got some kind of smartwatch for a gift and I never wore it because <laughs> I I don't know I I generally I feel like if people feel fine they they may not seek such uh, mm. devices that's my opinion um but at the same time it's kind of interesting like this fitbit sense 2 has so many parameters that it can measure 
I just wonder if I if I get like a warning message every day, maybe that will increase my stress instead <laughs> Your of your health lower anxiety. It. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I personally don't have an Apple Watch or a Fitbit or anything like that. I find that the health app uh, that already comes on my phone mm. um, does a decent enough job for my liking. But I have a feeling that if I did get um, a Fitbit, I think I actually might enjoy uh using one uh it's just you know they're expensive and i uh i don't think it's necessary at this point in my life but i think in moderation um it can be definitely a good thing but you could also get you know too concerned about all of the information that it that it kind of shoves in your face or on your wrist <laughs> um so yeah it's all about moderation if you think you're gonna need it um but i never actually would have predicted this um whole wearable health trend five ten years ago i um i i remember when the apple watch came out specifically uh, thinking much like the ipad and other things that apple's come out with ugh, another apple <laughs> product you know another way for them to get you but they have absolutely blown up and so fitbit too i think yeah. they were the original correct me if i'm wrong i, I just feel like fitbit I did come out before apple watch I feel I'm like sure. it's the same. Around the same but, time. No, I, <laughs> yeah. no, I feel that it's the same that I think Fitbit did come out before the Apple. Yeah, I saw the price of the Fitbit Sense 2. It's $300 American. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm also not in the um, health monitoring smartwatch and the wearable um, kind of space like I don't have one myself so I don't know how much these usually go for but I think that's a decent price <laughs> I'm not sure it's it's it is pricey but um for the features that it offers I think it's pretty good but then yeah I mean Fitbit has so many different models I mean you have models that you can find on Amazon for $40 apparently so um uh yeah I do feel also, Sydney, that the Fitbit was introduced before the Apple Watch, but when did Fitbit and I, I, I also yeah. think it has a higher em- emphasis on the health, uh, health metrics oh, yes. as aside, yeah. you know, aside from being a watch, which yeah. I don't, I don't know when we stop calling things a watch and start just calling them like <laughs> device to track, yeah, yeah your, exactly. your steps and other things. Um, but yeah, I mean, good for them. I mean, oh, yeah. Sorry, I just looked this up. Fitbit like first came out in 2009, so they wow. have been kicking around for a long time. And you know what? That's pretty impressive that you know, when we bring out the comparison with the Apple Watch, that Fitbit is still it still held its ground, right? Given how massive Apple is mm-hmm. and um, you know, the Apple smartwatch, I think the first generation was released in 2015 or, or uh, around that time. So, yeah, this it's Fitbit is, yeah, I have to give it to them for sticking it out. And um, they are the OG, <laughs> essentially, <laughs> um, in the uh, wearable health technology space in terms of uh the features that it offers for health monitoring but yeah like you're right like also you know you have features like this on your phone now you know to um like your number of steps a day and other things you know monitoring your sleep uh, patterns and stuff like that but 
Uh, I think just looking at the design of the Fitbit, it's very slim, it's very, you know, uh, inconspicuous. So I think um, it's still very popular. Um, as Vera was say saying, like they sold over 11 million last year or something. So yeah, I don't think the Fitbit is going anywhere, um, which is uh, really cool to see that it's been able to hold its ground all of these years and is just getting better with uh, new models and new features that it's offering. So all right let's move on to our next story and this is an fda approval for um which is a pretty big milestone for a, a rare uh condition here so the fda recently granted approval to jansen um pharmaceutical companies of johnson and johnson and abvi's imbruvica uh, which is known as ibrutinib, for pediatric patients with chronic graft-versus-host disease, um, or CGVHD. Now, this is Imbruvica's first-ever approval for a pediatric condition. Um, also, the drug um, is available now as a new oral suspension formulation. So this is also the first um, of its kind um, in this space and it's intended for the treatment of pediatric patients one year of age and older with chronic graft versus host disease who have failed one or more lines of systemic therapy such as the use of corticosteroids so this milestone approval makes uh, abrutinib the first FDA-approved treatment for young patients in this age group, one year to under 12 years of age, who previously had no approved treatment options for this life-threatening disease. It's also, as I mentioned, the first approval for the liquid form of the drug. So Imbruvica first uh, was FDA approved for CGVHD in 2017 for individuals 12 years of age and older. So chronic graft versus host disease is a life-threatening complication that can occur after an allogeneic transplant involving stem cells or bone marrow, where the newly transplanted donor cells come to attack the recipient's body. And symptoms of the condition can include things like development of scar tissue in the skin and joints, skin rash, mouth sores, dry eyes, liver inflammation, and lung damage. It's estimated that 52 to 65% of children who receive such transplants develop chronic graft-versus-host uh, disease. Imbruvica is approved in more than 100 countries and it's been used to treat more than 250,000 patients worldwide, according to a press release from Johnson & Johnson announcing the latest approval. The company added that there are more than 50 company-sponsored clinical trials involving Imbruvica, including 18 phase 3 studies and more than 11 years um, having been devoted to evaluating the drug's efficacy and safety. So the liquid form of the drug is pretty significant as it allows it um, to be dissolved and administered in a drink. And of course, this is very useful for um, children as young as one years old. And the new formulation is administered once a day and again, it can help children who have trouble swallowing capsules or tablets um, really get access to um, this medication in liquid format. 
Now, the latest FDA uh, green light for Imbruvica makes it the only BTK inhibitor with 12 FDA approvals across seven indications that include, of course, chronic graft-versus-host disease, as well as five hematologic cancers, including mantle cell lymphoma and chronic lymphocytic leukemia, or CLL. Imbruvica is a small molecule BTKI, or Bruton's tyrosine kinase inhibitor. And uh, Bruton's tyrosine kinase is a protein that promotes the growth of both normal and abnormal B cells, such as those involved, um, such as the cancer cells, of course, so allowing them to multiply and spread. The drug also targets another kinase called the interleukin-2 inducible T cell kinase, which is involved in um, the proliferation and differentiation of T cells. Now, the approval for the new indication was based on results from the phase one, phase two IMAGINE study, which um, data from which showed that an overall response rate of 60% uh, through week 24 in patients one to 19 years of age was achieved. Um, and these patients had moderate to severe chronic graft versus host disease. Um, now, according th to the trial results, safety was consistent with the established profile for Imbruvica with observed adverse events in pediatric patients that were consistent with those observed in adult patients with moderate to severe chronic graft versus host disease. So Imbruvica's approval addresses a significant unmet need in young patients with this condition given Again, as I mentioned, the very limited treatment options, particularly in this age group. Um, and so the actually the only other approved uh, treatment for chronic graft versus host disease for younger patients is Bristol-Myers Squibb's rheumatoid arthritis drug, Orencia, which received FDA approval as a preventative for the condition in um, individuals two years of age and older. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on this new approval. And again, um, another approval for a rare condition, and this is a rare pediatric condition. Um, and I think like as we've talked about on the podcast, uh, we keep seeing more and more approvals for rare diseases. And um, this is very encouraging as well because Imbruvica has been around for quite a while and it has so many it's been it's it has so many approvals and so many other uh indications and um so I think do you think this would lend more confidence to parents of young children um because you know it's been around for so long and uh I think they were saying that you know it has more than 11 years uh of study um uh, being having been devoted to looking at the drug safety and efficacy. Uh, yes, I, I do think it does. Um, you know, however, it depends if if say the doctors if they tell the parents like that this is a life threatening condition. I don't think that they would uh, think about too much of the drug, right? I, I think mm. they would just want their child to get treatment as soon as possible. And you know, if it's if it's a like a chronic um, graft versus host disease and, and if it's um, life-threatening or like they're in a critical condition 
I think parents would just accept uh, any kind of treatment, any kind mm-hmm. of drug, even for very young uh, patients, right? Like one-year-olds. Yeah. Um, however, I, I do think like a lot of people, they, they do research like the type of treatment that they are receiving or that their child is receiving. So I think it will give them like extra, like it would just reassure them that, okay, this is like a very well-tested drug. Yeah. But it still it still is like the first drug um, for pediatric patients with this. Yes. Yeah. So it was approved in 2017, as I mentioned, for individuals 12 years of age, of age and older. But um, yeah, like this is the first ever drug to be approved for this condition in patients this young. So as young as one years old. So it's pretty significant. Oh, okay. I I wanted to ask you, Aisha, so, Mm -hmm. like, you know, you explained that, okay, graft-versus-host disease, it occurs when um, the patients, they undergo, like, a transplant involving stem cells or bone marrow, and so why does that kind of happen that then those newly transplanted donor cells, they attack the recipient's body? Is it due to a mismatch or... Yeah, it's um, very unfortunate that this uh, is more common than we, you know, obviously would like it to be. And um, it, for some reason, despite, you know, um, transplants involve um, a lot, a lot is involved. I mean, you also have the administration of immunosuppressive drugs and all of that. But despite that, sometimes your body just, your body's immune system is just very good at recognizing anything that's foreign. So it sees these cells that um, are not part of the body and will just start to attack them. So um, there needs to be, you know, greater efforts to, to prevent that um, in some cases. And it, it just varies from individual to individual, really. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a very serious uh, or potentially a very serious complication of um, allogeneic stem cell transplants and also involving bone marrow transplants as well so and um yeah it's really not really known in terms of like what causes why some people develop it versus others but um probably a lot of factors at play including um yeah there could be a potential mismatch but i think you know um whenever there's a stem cell or bone marrow transplant involved um it is made sure that um, there is a match. So it's, it's, it's beyond that even sometimes. Um, and so it's um, kind of hard to predict and why some people um, react this way and why they see uh, those cells as being foreign versus um, not. So, yeah. Right, that's it for today's uh, X Talks Life Science podcast. If you liked today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you, everyone, and see you next week. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the X Talks Life Science podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues, and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. 
To join in on the discussion, you can find X Talks on social media. Email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalks.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.